0: Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about hope and our weekend worship opportunities, visit hopechurchmemphis.com. This week's stirring message comes from our women's ministry director, Pastor Hannah Attaway. Well, there are uh, just not a whole lot of he- heroes in our world, are there? We're, we're celebrating um, Veterans Day this week, which is a wonderful time to celebrate our heroes. But I don't know if you've noticed, it feels like we're running a little low around here sometimes on the hero category. Um, and the more you learn about one of your heroes, <laughs> this is the problem. The greater the chance that you'll discover that they weren't quite as heroic as you thought they were. And the Bible has lots and lots of heroes and it has lots of antiheroes as well. And because they were real people who really lived in real history, most Bible characters, characters are a pretty thorough mix of heroic and not so heroic. Have you noticed that in your Bible time? But every once in a while, every once in a while, there's someone who stands out from the rest. And I have my favorites, like Jail. Uh, You might not have heard her name before. Uh, She was the woman who defeated a king who had attacked the people of God. What she did was she lured that king into her tent. And when he asked for water, she's like, have some warm milk. And then she covered him with a blanket. And then while he was taking a nap, she drove a tent peg through his head. (laughs) Yeah, that's in the book of Judges. So um, she's not in the Precious Moment story Bible, is she, guys? (laughs) I've met a lot of Hannah's and Elizabeth's and Deborah's. But I've only met one girl named after Jael in my entire life. But tonight we're going to be talking about Caleb. Most of us know about Joshua, if only from the story of Jericho, you know, and the walls came a-tumbling down, you know. But standing right behind Joshua the whole time is this guy named Caleb. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man after Moses led God's people out of slavery from Egypt. And when the Israelites first approached the promised land where God was leading them, Caleb was chosen as a representative from the tribe of Judah. While Joshua was the representative from Ephraim to go and spy out the land along with 10 other guys from the other 10 tribes, their job was to give a scouting report to the rest of the people. Although the enemies in the land were big and strong, the fruit was even bigger and sweeter. And Joshua and Caleb pled with the Israelites to take possession of the land that God promised to give them. But the other 10 spies scared the royal bejeebers out of the Israelites, and they refused. Now, I'm just saying, my homegirl, Jael, would have been like, give me or meet my hammer. You know what I mean? She'd have been like, let's take it. But she probably hadn't been born yet. Her story is in a later book called Judges. Um, It's not a happy book, especially for women. I don't recommend it for like light devotional reading. But uh, it is an important book all the same. But the voices of the ten spies who were scared of losing to the Canaanites, they drowned out the voices of Caleb and Joshua. And in verse 8 of our passage tonight, Caleb retells that part of his story saying my brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. The phrase there is, is "cause the hearts of the people to melt. Joshua and Caleb saw all the same things that the other ten spies saw. Big enemies with big weapons, right? But their hearts didn't melt. Because the Israelites refused to take the land God promised to give them After miraculously bringing them out of Egypt, Caleb and Joshua had to wander with God's people through the wilderness for 40 years. While all of their friends died off. Now in tonight's story, it's 45 years later. Why does 85-year-old Caleb, 85, why does he say, give me my mountain, I can take it? When the hearts of his brothers all melted? Why does Caleb have a fierce heart in a melting world? Well, let's look at a few things we learn about how it looks to have a fierce heart even when the world around us is melting. First, fierce hearts trust in the power of God. Fierce hearts trust in the power of God. This isn't the only time in the book of Joshua when we see the phrase lose heart or hearts melting. But every other time, the hearts that are melting are those who belong to God's enemies. So at the beginning of the book, Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho, tells Israelite spies that the hearts of her people, the people of Jericho, melted when they heard that the Israelites were coming for their land. And then in chapter 5, the hearts of Amorite kings melt. And in chapter 7, the same thing happens to the people of Ai. These are all God's enemies. And if you're God's enemy, it makes sense for your heart to melt because his power isn't for you. It's against you. But if you do belong to him, all the power that could make your heart melt when it's turned against you... All that power strengthens you and gives you confidence instead. Now, my dad is a boomer. So quite obviously, he's obsessed with World War II. Every time I see the man, he has a new story about World War II. I haven't asked yet, but he always has one. And so the way I describe the fear of the Lord is this way. It's like walking down a street in Denmark during World War II and seeing a tank coming right at you. And you don't take the time to, like, see whose emblem is on the tank when there's a tank coming at you, right? All you need to see is that big old gun on the front, and then what do you do? Haul it the other way like any reasonable human being would do. But then as you're hauling it the other way, you notice a company of Nazi soldiers coming around the corner, and you can tell who they're with. So now what do you do? Now we take a moment. And check out what emblem is on the side of that tank. Because now it matters greatly to me, are they for me or are they against me? Right? And I notice, hey, they're with the Allied Forces. And now am I scared of that big old gun on the front of the tank? No. Now that big old gun on the front of the tank is my best buddy and I am running straight on to it, right? Because they're on my side. The danger that would cause my heart to melt when it opposes me fills me with confidence when it's for me. Caleb follows the Lord God, and he knows that the Lord is bigger and stronger and badder and better than the Canaanites. And if that God wants to give 85-year-old Caleb this land, you better believe he's going to do it. Melting hearts are fitting for God's enemies. But they are unfitting for the people of God. Fierce hearts trust in the power of God. Second, fierce hearts are received from God. You know the thing about Caleb? He's not an Israelite. His dad's name is Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Now, you may not be up on your ancient Near Eastern geopolitical designations, Um, because why would you need to be? But supposedly, I know some about the Bible, so let me connect a couple dots. The Kenizzites were not God's people at all. In fact, 600 years before Israel begins the conquest, which is a story the book of Joshua is telling, God specifically mentions the Kenizzites to his friend Abraham, also known as the patriarch, formerly known as Abram. So looking at Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21, check this out. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Kadmonites, Hethites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. I know. Nailed it. That's what I paid $30,000 for that seminary education for. So what's going on here? God's telling Abraham, the Israelite patriarch, formerly known as Abram, that he's going to give Abraham's descendants to the land at that time. 600 years before Caleb's story here in the book of Joshua, it belonged to the groups known as the Kenites, the Cadmonites, the Hethites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, oh, wait, the Jebusites, which is the Jerusalemites. But I also skipped one, didn't I? The Kenizzites. Caleb was at least half Kenizzite. Now, those are all fun names, but don't put them on your baby name list, okay? It's not going to be fun for them on the first day of school. But his family is supposed to be one of the ones getting kicked out of the land, according to the promise that God made to Abraham 600 years before. But instead, he's one of the guys taking the land for the people of God. I thought, though, that Caleb was from the tribe of Judah, like the Israelite tribe of Judah. But he's from the Kenizzites? What is going on? So at some point, and we have absolutely nothing about this story, and I kind of like that. His dad made a decision. Jephunneh made a decision. Like Rahab and Ruth, he decided to walk away from his own people and to throw his fate in with the people of God. And God's people let him. They said, come on, man. Now, please note, this took place before the people of Israel even had a land. Probably while they were enslaved to Egypt or when they were making a break for it during the Exodus. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know why. What we do know is that within one generation, Jephunneh's son is so deeply respected by the tribe of Judah. Maybe his dad married into it. We don't know. But Caleb is so respected that they choose him to represent them to spy out the land as their ambassador. Now, maybe it's because he felt expendable to them, but the Bible only describes this as an honor. And that's not God going back on his word to Abraham, the Israelite patriarch formerly known as Abram. It's actually how God keeps his word that he gave to Abraham when he first speaks to the patriarch formerly known as Abram. I'm doing a whole artist formerly known as Prince thing there, but if you're not picking up on it, it's okay. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, take a look at this. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now the word for peoples there can also be translated families. God's keeping his word to Abraham by blessing Caleb because Caleb's family chose to bless the people of Abraham. Caleb is receiving a fierce heart from God, not by blood, but by faith. Caleb is out-Israeliting the Israelites. And if you read how Caleb talks about his relationship to God, there's no sense of half membership in the people of God, is there? Look one more time at eight and nine. Actually, I think we're going to read it one more time, but still. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. On that day, Moses swore to me the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever because you have followed the Lord my God completely. Do you see how Caleb and Moses talk about the Lord the same exact way? Caleb has the same relationship to the Lord God that Moses has. Racial division has no place in the people of God. We all have equal access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Now, please note very quickly, this is a story about what happened in this land, not what's happening in this land. But it certainly has implications for those who may look at your family tree and think, there's no redeeming this mess. You can't fix what was, but you can absolutely impact what will be. One generation can change the trajectory of an entire family line, not just for one or two generations, but into eternity. What was does not determine what will be. What God is doing may be greater than you can discover in one lifetime. Fierce hearts are not inherited by genetics. God offers them to us out of his overflowing grace and we receive them through faith. Third, fierce hearts focus on the faithfulness of God. Now there are at least two ways to tell any story. So look again at how Caleb tells his story. As you see, The Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses set me out. My strength for battle and for daily tasks is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country, the Lord promised me on that day. Because you heard then that the Anakim are there as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. Now, how long was Caleb stuck in the wilderness because the people his dad left everything for wouldn't trust God? Forty-five years. Now, a couple people around here who shan't be named have called me about 40. No! No! No, I am 39 years old. You understand? And I will be in my 30s until 11.59 p.m. on July 23rd. At midnight on July 24th, I will turn 40. And every minute between now and then, that's my 30s. And every one of them count. You hear what I'm saying? How many minutes did Caleb spend from 40 years old to 85 years old? Waiting for God to fulfill his promise. Not a few. In fact, I did the math. And assuming these very round numbers that Hebrew typically uses are about right, there were 23 million plus minutes between the time God promised Caleb the land and the time Caleb received the go-ahead to take it. That's a lot of minutes of waiting. And not like pleasant waiting either. This is not like waiting room with a coffee maker waiting. (laughs) Waiting. Wandering through the desert waiting, wilderness waiting, homeless waiting, war waiting, the same meal every day for 40 years waiting. And all that time, he's the guy behind the guy. I mean, what's Joshua got that Caleb doesn't got? Is his faith lacking? No. Is he physically weak? Apparently not at 85. He's still working it. And I mean, he can give a speech. Have y'all noticed that? This man can give a speech. Caleb is strong and he's faithful and eloquent. And he's got people behind him. And he's number two guy? Caleb has some reasons he could be bitter. But he's not. His heart is just as fierce as it's ever been. Because his focus is on the faithfulness of God. Not on his own disappointments. And here he is, just as strong at 85 as he was at 40, and rearing to go against mighty enemies because he believes that this land belongs to God. That means that it's God's to give to whomever he pleases, and God promised to give it to Caleb. Caleb's heart is still fierce because Caleb knows whom he has believed, and he is persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed unto him until this very day. Fierce hearts focus on the faithfulness of God. And finally, fierce hearts follow God completely. Now, this one falls into the easier said than done category, right? But this passage twice tells us why Caleb was able to take possession of the land and why God promised him this inheritance in the first place because he followed the Lord, his God, completely. No, he wasn't born Israelite, but he followed the God of Israel completely, which is more than you can say for a vast majority of the natural-born Israelites in biblical history, right? Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho, wasn't an Israelite either. But when push came to shove... Her faith was in the God of Israel, in his power over all human weakness. And that faith defeated every other loyalty that fought for her heart. She chose the complete covenantal love of God over the competing allegiances of home and country, of her family of origin, and yes, even her old gods. She followed the God of Israel completely and literally watched her hometown crumble under his power. And she married an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. Yeah, the same Judah that Caleb's a part of, though not the same family. But something interesting happened with her, too. She mar- her son married a woman from Moab, which is another non-Israelite country. And her name was Ruth. And Rahab's son was named Boaz. And he is another one of those few biblical characters that shines against the darkness of so many tarnished heroes. In fact, whenever I hear his name, I always think, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. You know what I mean? We need more Boazes. That's all I'm saying for your baby books. Um, And Boaz and Ruth had a great grandson by the name of David. He was the most faithful king that the nation of Israel ever had. He followed the Lord completely, except for one thing. Look at First Kings fifteen five. For David did what was right in the Lord's sight, and he did not turn aside from anything he had commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hethite. You may have an except in your story, but hey, three generations from pagan prostitute to greatest king, that ain't bad, y'all. And doing what's right except for one minor infraction. And by minor, I, of course, mean a gross misuse of power and, you know, murder. That's still pretty good for the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament's the Wild West out there. But there was another man from the tribe of Judah who had come 1,400 years later. And his father wasn't quite from Israel either. That man's name was Jesus. Jesus which, interestingly enough, is the Greek version of the name Joshua. He was a king and a conqueror like the first Joshua 1,400 years before. But he followed the Lord God completely, no exceptions. He followed God completely and perfectly, in fact. We all bring our accepts into this relationship, don't we? Maybe not murder, or maybe murder, but whatever your accepts are, the cross of Jesus Christ, the eternal king from the tribe of Judah, who died for our not quite complete obedience, his sacrifice is big enough for you. Caleb was a great man, but Jesus, he's the man. So we trust him completely. And we lean wholly on him alone for our salvation. How can your heart not be fierce when you follow a God who sends his son to make us his own? How can your heart not be fierce when you follow a God who raises the dead? How can your heart not be fierce when his own spirit fills you with the power from on high? How can your heart not be fierce when you follow Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who rules over every inch of creation and who will bring all things under his gracious rule when he returns? Though the earth may melt away by the grace of God, our hearts remain fierce when we completely follow him. Pray with me, please. God of Israel, God of Caleb, Father of Jesus Christ, we come to you now grateful for your faithfulness through generations, thankful for those who've gone before us in faith, who leave us a legacy of obedience in faith. And we pray, God, that you will give us fiercely obedient hearts. For any tonight who do not yet know you, we pray, reveal yourself in clarity and in beauty and in power that we may worship you completely, serve you totally, and follow you daily. You are worth it. You're worth everything we have. So we pray tonight the light, and the worship of your children. We're broken, but we're yours. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Oppenheisen, Musical Worship Director. If you were encouraged by today's message, hit subscribe wherever you stream your podcast. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship service, Visit our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.